Welcome tonight to our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, nobody get too excited. I'm not going to sing a special for you, I promise. That is uh, definitely not my calling. Um, Brother Scotty is, is uh, in Denver, Colorado this week, him and his family. And so we're not going to have music tonight. We're just going to dive right into the Word of God. But um, one thing that I am thankful for um, is that God never requires us to sing well, but just to sing with a heart full of joy, amen, to make a joyful noise. And so even though we can't, or I can't, make much more than a joyful noise, we can do that, but I'm not going to do that for you tonight. I'm going to save you that misery. We're just going to get right into the Word of God. Uh, do pray for Brother Scotty, though, as he is in, um, in Colorado with his family, that they would get there safely and get home safely. I'm a little bit jealous, man. That's one of my favorite places on God's green earth is Colorado. That's If there's a prettier place, I don't know of it. But um, they'll, they'll be out there, I think, through Saturday. So pray for them as they're gone. And um, we're going to get into the book of Galatians. So take your Bibles and look with me, please, to Galatians chapter number 1. Now, my purpose tonight is to finish up what we started last week. We looked at verses 1 through 10. And I told you last time we were together that I was going to give you four main points, but all I really gave you last week was two main points. I didn't get to the four, um, fourth point that I was wanting to get to, so I'm going to do my best to finish that up uh, this evening. And I've thought about it all week, and I think I've figured out the problem. We, y'all have got to start listening faster. If y'all will start <laughs> listening faster, I think that maybe we could get through some of that. Um, I'm just, nobody turned me off or tuned me out. I'm just kidding you. I'm just teasing you. And, Picking at you a little bit. I know the problem. The problem is you got a long-winded pastor from time to time, and I don't know when to shut up from time to time. It's funny how things change, I'm telling you. I was just thinking about that today. You know, when the Lord first called me to preach, um, he, gave, he put a message on my heart, gave me a place to go and share it, and I went on Sunday night and, um, and preached my first sermon, if that's really what you want to call it. I don't even know if you could call it a sermon, what I did, but um, um, I got up there and and. Really, all that happened that night, I read three scriptures, cried a whole lot, and then, uh, and then prayed a prayer of dismissal, and it lasted about four and a half minutes. And so I was pretty discouraged after that night, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't really excited at all. I was more discouraged than anything. I just didn't feel like it went like it was needed to go, you know, and a pastor friend of mine called me up the next day, and he said, well, man, how'd it go? I heard you preached your first sermon yesterday, and I said, well, it went okay, I guess. I told him what the Lord had put on my heart, and I told him what... Uh, scripture I read and what happened in the service wasn't a whole lot to tell. Like I said, it went but four and a half minutes worth. And uh, he could tell I was discouraged, I guess. And he said, um, he said, what's wrong with you, man? You act like something's wrong. I said, well, man, it went but four and a half minutes. He said, believe me, that'll take care of itself. Don't get discouraged about that. He said, I used to have to study all week to get five minutes worth of something to say. He said, and then, uh, now it's kind of got to the place and I don't know when to shut up. And I think I've got to that place. But I'll promise you this. If you will um, listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we'll finish up with Galatians 1, 1 through 10 tonight. But before we get into these last two points, we really need to review just a moment these first two points so that we're all on the same page and all this is really going to make sense like it needs to. So let's look there, Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. In the first three verses... We said last time we were together that Paul gives us here his salutation. And he does this all throughout 
his writings in the New Testament. To every letter that he writes to the church, he always gives a salutation. He gives this uh, beginning message, uh, this introduction to the letter that he's writing to these churches. And it's very powerful. I love how he puts it. He makes it plain right from the get-go that it was God who saved him. Can you see it being? And the God who saved him had called him. That his calling was not because of men, not by men, and not through men, but his calling was from God himself. And God had called him to go and preach the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He makes no apology for that. He tells it just as plain as it can be told, um, that he's not been saved by men, he's not been called by men, and he's not there to please men. He's there to please God. He makes that very plain in those first uh, three verses. And then in verse number three, you'll notice something he says here. He says, Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. He tells this church at Galatia, these churches in the region of Galatia, um, grace and peace be unto you. And we said last time we were together last week, if you remember, that Paul was in the business of making mature followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was his mission. That was his goal. And I want to tell you this evening, that has to be our mission and that has to be our goal if we're going to be effective in being the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ that makes a difference in this world. Folks, let me tell you something. There is nothing I enjoy more, nothing that excites me more than when I see people profess faith in Jesus and become new converts. But how many of you know that's not the end, that's just the beginning. They have just began that new life in Christ, with Christ. The Bible says you are born again into God's family as babes in Christ. And then it's up to us as believers and it's partly up to the church to disciple new believers to become mature followers of Christ. That's what Paul was all about. That's why he writes this letter back to them. Um, he's Most people believe, most historians and Theologians that I've read believe that Paul wrote the letter back to the churches in Galatia, the letter that we're studying on his third missionary journey. These churches that he's writing to, they were started in his first missionary journey. He's now at the end of his life, a life that was filled with um, preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus and serving the Lord by loving people, by preaching truth by standing for the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. But he's writing back to the churches that were started at the beginning of his ministry. And years earlier, he went on his first missionary journey, and as he was going and preaching the gospel through the region of Galatia, folks got saved. How do you know that that's how people get saved? When the gospel is preached, that coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, God touching hearts and changing lives, that's how people become new converts. But Paul realized it wasn't his job to leave them there. It wasn't his job to forget about them. His mission wasn't over. And so he continually ministered to them on his second missionary journey. And then again, at the end of his third missionary journey, he writes back this letter 
the Word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit to help them to grow to become mature believers. And, and th listen, that formula is still what God is calling the church to do today, to take the Word of God and use it for the maturing of believers, for the maturing of followers of Jesus. Now, Paul wanted to make mature followers of Christ because mature followers of Christ make a difference for the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? And that, that was true then, and that's still true today. Mature followers of Christ are devoted to prayer. Mature followers of Christ are soul winners. Mature followers of Christ worship the Lord, yes, with their lips faithfully, but also with their lives faithfully. Mature followers of Christ follow Jesus on Sunday, but also on Monday. Mature followers of Christ give for the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of God, their time, their talent, and their treasure, all that they have so that God might be glorified and the message of the gospel might go across the world. So Paul was all about forming, making, doing all he could to cause new converts to become mature believers. And that was his mission then, and that's got to be our mission now. We do it the same way, by taking hold of the Word of God and applying God's truth to their life. Still, the preaching of the Word of God, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit, is what's changing people to become more like Jesus. If you believe that tonight, say amen. So Paul says, I'm writing to this, these brethren in the region of Galatia, to these churches that he loved so dearly that God had used him to start by the preaching of the gospel the first time he came through. And he says to him in verse number three, grace be to you and peace from God our Father. I love that verse. Grace be unto you. He uses this in pretty much every one of his salutations to the churches and all of his epistles, his letters to the churches. He always says, grace be unto you and peace. Man, that's so powerful because Paul understood and realized that you'll never understand the peace of God until you've experienced the grace of God. He never says peace and grace. He don't want to get the cart before the horse. He always says grace and peace. I am so very thankful this evening that because I have experienced the grace of God, I now have the peace of God. Paul knew that for these believers as well, and so he says, grace be unto you, and peace. I love that. That's his salutation, and that really leads us into our next main point, which is the salvation that Paul preaches. Now, I want you to, to, I want you to know this evening, not just in the book of Galatians, but all throughout Paul's writings, you're going to see that Paul preaches salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. If you believe that this evening, say amen. That's what true salvation is is all about. That's where true salvation comes from. It comes from Christ, and it's in Christ alone. Listen to me. Salvation happens when people place faith in the finished work of Jesus. Faith in Christ plus nothing equals salvation. That was Paul's message. That was the message of the New Testament. Let me tell you something. That is our message. And if there are any other message that is preached, it's the wrong message. Salvation is not a result of faith and works. 
let me see if I can say that. Salvation is not a result of faith and works. It's not. If salvation is a result of works, let me tell you something, then it's you that makes yourself saved and it's you that keeps yourself saved. Salvation is a gift given by God, a gift of grace received by faith. Paul makes that plain over and over. You say, brother, you're just one of them people that believe you're saved. Once saved, always saved. Then you just go out and live however you want to live. It don't matter what you do. No, I didn't say that. Don't leave here and tell anybody I said that. That's not what I said at all. What I am saying is that good works are not the reason for salvation, but good works are certainly the result of true salvation. By grace, through faith. If you've truly been born again, if you've truly been made new in Jesus, then old things have passed away. Can you say amen? If you've truly been born again into God's family, and you've been given a new nature by the Spirit of God, with that new nature comes a desire to please God day by day, to please God in every sphere of your life, in your church life, in your home life, in your work life. There is now a desire within you to share with others about the Jesus that's made a difference in you. Amen? So I'm not saying that good works are not important because they are. I'm just saying good works are not the reason we are saved, but the result of those who have truly been born again. And that's what Paul is saying too. I want to see that as we continue on through this. Salvation is in Christ alone. Faith in Christ plus nothing equals salvation. It's a gift received. Not a work achieved. Amen? You need to understand that. You got to get a hold of that because there's so many people in bondage. This idea of salvation that is through your own self-righteous works. Folks, your own self-righteous work it's just not enough. I had a man say one time to me, um, I've heard it, maybe you've heard it, that salvation is by grace through faith. But then you have to have some works with that. That's not what God's Word teaches. I love how Dr. Adrian Rogers said this. He said that some man came to him one time and he said, well, he believed it was just like being in a rowboat. He said that you, you got two oars in a rowboat and salvation happens by grace and works. That you've got one oar that is grace and you've got one oar that is works. And as long as you work them both together that you get to where you need to go. And Dr. Adrian Rogers said something I'll never forget. I love it. He said the only problem with that analogy is that nobody gets to heaven in a rowboat. <laughs> and he's, he's right. He's right. It's not a result of my good works. It's a result of God's grace. Salvation is a free gift given by God simply because He loves you. That's it. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to work. That makes me want to please Him. 
That makes me want to honor and glorify Him with good works that I do day by day. Paul makes it clear here in Galatians chapter 1 and down in verse number 4 that Jesus did three things through his death. He voluntarily died for us. You know no man took the life of Jesus from him, but he gave it voluntarily for you and for me. Do you know he yielded up the ghost on the cross? He gave up the ghost because no man could take it from him. Do you know he went to the cross freely on his own because he realized that was the only way you could be saved and I could be saved? He voluntarily went to the cross. He vicariously died for us. He died in our place. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. If you believe it, say amen. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died for the sins of the whole world. The Bible says that the sins of the world was placed upon Jesus. He became our sin bearer. God punished sin on the cross upon the person of his son. And he died my death so that I could live his life. He took my sins so that I could have his righteousness. He tasted my death so I could have his eternal life. He went into darkness so that I could go into the light. He took my place. And he took your place. And now all you've got to do to receive this gift of salvation is trust fully in his finished work. Isn't that good news? That is real good news. I'm telling you. He vicariously died for us. He victoriously died for us. How many know his death was enough? There has to be no more payment for sin. Do you know God poured out his wrath on his only begotten son? Do you know that? Because God is holy, because God is righteous and just, sin had to be punished. Me and Brother Eric was talking about this just Sunday night. You need to understand all the aspects of God, not just the ones you like. Let me tell you what I mean. We all know God is love. How many of y'all thankful God is love? We all, we all like talking about that one. And don't get me wrong, I do too. I'm thankful that God is love according to the scripture. I'm so thankful for John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But if all you know about God is that he is love... You're missing out on so much more of who God is. God is not only love, but God is holy. Perfect, pure, righteous, just. I, that's really all the only words I know to describe God's holiness. 
I don't think we'll ever have a full understanding of the holiness of God until we are in His presence. But we know God is holy. We know God is righteous. We know God is pure. We know God is perfect. We know God is just. He's holy. Now, if He has all those things, like I told you a minute ago, He has to punish sin. Well, guess what? That puts God in a very unique situation. Because He is love, He loves humanity. But because He is holy, He has to punish sin or He's not holy. And the bad news for us is we're all sinners. Are you getting me? That's why the scripture says in Romans 3 and 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's not one of us who does everything right by God's standard. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if that's true, and I believe it is, that we are all sinners, then in our own power, in our own goodness, in our own sinfulness, the goodness that don't measure up to God's standard, are you getting that? In our sinfulness, we stand under the wrath of God. That's why Paul says in Romans 5, we were, before Jesus, we were his enemies. So, let me tell you what God did. God was true to himself and remained holy because he punished sin. Yet, he remained true to himself and remained a loving, merciful, gracious God because instead of punishing us, he punished his son. That's what John 3.16 is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Check this verse out. Keep your place there in, in, in Galatians, but... In John chapter 3 and verse number 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides, watch this now, on him. Everybody see that verse? We talk about being saved, and for good reason. The Bible talks a whole lot about being saved. Let me tell you what we're actually being saved from. God. We are actually being saved from God, His wrath against sin. So that begs the question then, how are we truly saved? Well, it's answered right there in John 3, 36. He that believes on the Son 
shall have everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But watch. But the wrath of God abides on him. Everybody who chooses to reject the finished work of Jesus, everybody who chooses to reject God's punishment for sin at the cross will then stand in punishment for their own sin. That's what the wrath of God is all about. If you choose to reject what Christ has done, then you still got to pay for your sin. The good news is Christ paid it for you. He took your punishment. He took God's wrath. There on the cross, and the Bible says all who trust in him can be born again. All who trust in him can have everlasting life. All who trust in him can have their sins forgiven. But if you choose not to believe on him, if you choose not to trust in him, then God's wrath still abides on you. So you hear people talk about, well, I just can't believe in a loving God who would send people to hell. If you go to hell, you're stepping over the cross to get there. God has already met, made a way. He has done everything necessary for you to miss hell and gain heaven. He did it in the person of his son. And now, because... Jesus voluntarily died because Jesus vicariously died in our place and because Jesus victoriously died. All who place trust in Jesus, his finished work, can have victory over sin, death, hell, the grave, and the devil. Not because of who you are, because of who he is. This is the salvation Paul preaches. So we see the salutation Paul gives. We see the salvation Paul preaches. Number three, you need to see the serious problem Paul addresses. Look what it says there in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 6. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Do you see that? Paul said, I, am, I marvel that there's a big problem there. This is what he's addressing. He said, I marvel. I am surprised. I am astonished. That you would so soon remove yourself from the gospel that was preached unto you. From the gospel that brought you eternal life. It Paul said, I'm amazed that you've turned away from this, is what he's saying. Now, before we go any further, let's make sure we identify our terms. All right? When he's talking about the gospel, what's he talking about? Somebody give me um, a, very, a, a simple definition for the gospel. Anybody? Good news, absolutely, that's what gospel means. The good news, good news of what? The good news of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. I want you to think about the gospel in, in two different aspects. Number one, I want you to think about the historical facts of the gospel, all right? You need to get that down. What are the facts of the gospel, the historical facts? Well, Paul gives us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Flip over there with me. 1 Corinthians 15, I call this the gospel in, the nut, in a nutshell. That's what it is. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse number 3. Look what he says here. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ 
died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, verse 5, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, verse 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So according to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, what's the gospel? What are the historical facts? That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried in a tomb, and that he was resurrected from that tomb. That is the historical facts of the gospel. Now let me tell you something. You have not preached the gospel until you give those facts. Are you getting me? That's the facts that we know according to the word of God. That's what the gospel is. That's the first aspect of the gospel. The second aspect of the gospel is not just the historical facts, but the interpretation of those facts. Let me tell you why Paul wrote the letter to the church at churches of Galatia. He wrote the letter to these churches because there were folks who came in that was challenging the interpretation of the facts. The heresy that they preached was not concerning the historical facts, but the interpretation of the facts. Now let me ask you this. Why would they not be able to attack the historical facts of the gospel? Why couldn't they do it that way? What'd you say? Absolutely. We just read it. Remember what it said in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that 500 brothers at once seen Jesus after his resurrection? Now, I want you to think about that just a moment. I've done a little figuring this week, and I found out that if you took 500 people that saw Jesus after the resurrection, and you gave them 15 minutes each to testify, do you know that would mean you would have 125 hours of eyewitness testimony as to the fact that Jesus rose again from the grave. Think about that. How, how much weight do you think that would carry in a court of law if you had 125 hours of eyewitness testimony to prove your claim? Be pretty solid, wouldn't it? Now, the thing is, all of these people that were preaching these false doctrines in the church of Galatia knew that there were five, at least 500, a whole crowd of people that were all over the region that had saw Jesus after his resurrection. They knew that Peter and John, um, James and the rest of the apostles that were going all over the world preaching the gospel and were doing many miraculous things by the power of God. They knew that these men were standing boldly for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, even though people were threatening their death, even though some of them had already died. James had already, at this time, he had already been killed in Jerusalem. They knew that these men were willing to give their lives for the truth of the gospel. So they're not going to attack the historical facts. They've got eyewitnesses and they've got testimony of the apostles that those facts are true. They're not going to attack it that way. But what they do is attack the interpretation of the historical facts of the gospel. That's what they were all about. Now, the problem is that their interpretation of the facts did not match up with the apostles' interpretation of the facts. Not by a long shot. The apostle Peter preached salvation by faith in Jesus. Do you know that? 
Let me give you a very, very powerful verse. Acts 4 and 12. Brother, can you put that on the screen for me, please? If you go back and read in Acts 4, and I encourage you to do so in your quiet time, you're going to find that Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel. Amen. And in Acts 4 and 12, it says, neither is there, Peter stands up before this council that have arrested him, the Sanhedrin. He says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You know, let me tell you what Peter's saying is, if you're going to get saved, it's going to be by faith in Jesus, because that's the only name that's going to bring salvation to you. Peter preached salvation by faith in Christ. Paul preached salvation by faith in Christ. Acts 16.31. Brother, put that on the screen for me. Acts 16.31. Listen to what Paul says here. It's a very, very powerful verse. Look how he puts it. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this now. And thou shalt be saved and thy house. Let me give you just, this is Paul preaching here. This is Paul saying that. But let me give you a little bit of background about what was going on. Paul and Silas was imprisoned in the Philippian jail. They were imprisoned. You want me to tell you why? Because they were preaching the gospel. Salvation. By faith in Christ alone. And they were going for to preach the gospel. To have uh, a church service. And on their way they met a woman that was a, a young lady that was possessed by a demonic spirit. And Paul, the Bible says, being grieved in his spirit, turned around and cast the demon out of her in the name of Jesus. And then those who were making money by the soothsaying or the fortune telling of this young lady, they got mad at Paul. And they had cited a riot. And they caused Paul to be arrested there. The Bible says they laid many stripes upon him and Silas. That means they beat them up good with a whip. And then they cast them into the inner prison. They were in the dungeon. And then... Praise God at midnight. The Bible tells us that Paul and Silas started praising Jesus. I've thought about that so many times. Here you have these brothers. They're not doing what they wouldn't supposed to be doing. They're doing what God told them to do. What God the Spirit led them to do. They're preaching right, living right, doing right. And now it's landed them in the stocks, in the dungeon, in the inner prison with many stripes having been laid on their back. And instead of being depressed, discouraged, downtrodden, and ready to quit, instead of questioning God, why did you let this happen to us? Instead of giving up and giving in, Instead of thinking about their problems, at midnight they began to praise. Wow. I thought so many times, what would I have done in that situation? How would I have handled that? By the power of God the Holy Spirit, at midnight they began to sing praises unto the Lord. Think about what a witness that was. You've got all these people in there in prison for all kinds of different reasons. And they know the only reason that Paul and Silas is in the prison, the only reason that they've been beaten, the only reason that they're in the dungeon is simply because they're talking about Jesus so much. And at midnight, they began hearing them sing praises. They're having a church service in the middle of the dungeon singing praise unto the Lord. Amen? 
Think about what that, what that did to everybody else in those surrounding cells. Think about what that did to the prison guards. It's one thing to sing praise while you're preaching in the pulpit, sitting in the pew. It's another thing to sing praise when you're sitting in the dungeon. That's when it gets real, folks. And everybody else heard it, the Bible says. And then God, by his power, set an earthquake that shook loose the prison doors. The doors popped open, the chains fell off, and everybody stayed. That is, that is probably the biggest miracle in the whole thing. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going to be just transparent and honest tonight. I'm not proud of this. But years ago, pre-Jesus, I spent three days in county lockup. I'm going to tell you something. If somebody would have let the door open, I would have left as quickly as possible at any time. I wanted no more of that. After about 10 minutes, I was done with it, and I stayed three days. I can promise you this. If there had been an earthquake, regardless of the consequences after, I would have ran just as hard as I possibly could from that place if those doors would have came open. But everybody stayed. Why? I'll tell you why. What I believe. I believe the power of God, the presence of God was so real and strong in that place at that time. Everybody wanted to see what was going to happen next. I've experienced some of that. We've experienced some of that here. I'm talking about when God meets with us on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about when the glory of God comes down. I'm talking about when God does a work that only he can do in the hearts and lives of people. I'm talking about when the presence of God is so powerful that you can't get enough of it. I'm talking about a little heaven here on earth. I'm talking about when that happens. You ever notice how people just want to hang out? They'll hang out an hour past the service just talking about what God has done in their life. You ever seen that? I love that. I love that. I hunger for that. I desire that. And I'm asking you to pray for that. That's what we need. So everybody stayed. And then after everybody got calmed down a little bit, the, the, the jailer comes walking in, trembling, the Bible says. And he falls down there. Thank you, brother. He falls down. The keeper of the prison coming awake and out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had been fled. He's about to kill himself because he's been given the charge of keeping the prison. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Verse 29. And then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Look at this. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must you do? Now, this is a perfect opportunity for Paul to tell him, if the truth is, I'll tell you what you do. You go out and be the best guy you can possibly be from now on. Do your best every day to help little old ladies across the street. Make sure that you feed uh, stray dogs and take them home with you. Make sure that you give to your local um, food bank every time you get a chance. Make sure you put money in the offering plate every Sunday. Make sure you get your 15-year pen for Sunday school. Do all of this stuff. That was a perfect time for Paul to say this, if that's the truth. But look what he says. And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, 
in your house. What does Paul preach? Salvation by what? By faith in who? Salvation by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Paul preached it. Peter preached it. The apostles that Jesus had commanded to go preach, this is the message they're preaching. And then you have this other crowd. Come in and do everything they can to pervert it. Go back to Galatians chapter 1. Look with me please down to verse number 7, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. The word pervert there actually means to make it something opposite of what it is. That's what it's talking about. He said they are making the gospel something that it's not. Now, the people that he's talking about here is a group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers are referred to the false as referred to as the false brethren in Acts two and four. Paul dealt with them throughout his whole ministry. You can go back and read in Acts fifteen one where he dealt with them on his missionary journeys. He's always dealing with these people because these people show up everywhere and they're still showing up today. They always want to add to what Jesus has done because it makes them feel better. Makes them feel better. I see this. A lot of people hate, they absolutely hate the preaching of salvation by grace through faith. They hate that. Let me tell you what they love, legalism. They love it. Let me tell you why. Because it makes them feel good about what they've done or what they can do. But when you tell them your goodness is not enough, when you tell them Isaiah 64, 6, that the, our righteousnesses, the good things we do, is like filthy rags when you put them up next to God's standard of righteousness. When you tell them no matter how far you can swim, you ain't never going to swim to Hawaii. They don't like it. Why? Because they want to think they can do it themselves. The problem with that thinking is it's not biblical. It's not the gospel. It's another gospel. Which is really no such thing as what Paul says. There can't be another. Either it's true or it's untrue. Either it's the gospel truth or it's a false doctrine. And anything that's added to faith in Christ is a false doctrine. That's what he's saying here. Because these people, these Judaizers... They would come along and say, okay, hey, listen, you can believe on Jesus. They weren't going to, again, challenge the fact that he had rose from the grave. They knew that historical fact. But they could challenge the interpretation. They'd say, well, you can believe on Jesus, but that's not enough. What you got to do now is keep the Mosaic law. You got to keep all the feast days and the ceremonial laws. You got to keep all the stuff that's written down in the law of Moses if you really want to be a child of God. You want me to tell you what that does? That gives glory to man and takes glory from God. You want me to tell you what else it does? It sends people to hell with a false hope. 
because they think, man, if I can just do all this stuff, if I can cross this T off and dot this I and keep this list and don't do this list, if I can do all this, then somehow, some way, I'm going to be right with God. That's not enough. You're still trying to swim to Hawaii. Amen? Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all wasn't here a few weeks ago. So let me give you another story that might help you. When I was in the seventh grade, I loved basketball. The only problem with that is I'm terrible at basketball. Still terrible at basketball. I'm not coordinated. Um, they made a movie years ago about my early life called White Men Can't Jump. <laughs> I can't jump. I'm not tall. Um, I love football because, let me tell you if, you, if you can run into people, you can play football. But as far as me being really any kind of athlete, I'm not. So it was really hard for me to play basketball, you know. And so I struggled with it, but I liked doing it because my friends all played, and so I'd go play basketball. And I always, my goal was to be able to dunk a basketball. Five foot nothing, no athletic ability to speak of, really. So it was really hard for me to do that. I, I got to where I could get up and t I could hang on the rim, but I couldn't dunk the ball. And so I kept trying, kept working, kept, man, doing squats and doing the leaper machine at school. I did everything I could in my power to dunk the ball. That was, had become my standard. That's what I wanted to do. Then one day, we're in there playing basketball in the rec center. I'll never forget it. And guess what they bring in? Libby trampoline. Somebody brings in a trampoline. All right? And we set this sucker up right before the foul line. And before you know it, I am windmilling, dunking a basketball. 360 dunking a basketball. Hey, reverse dunking a basketball. Any way I wanted to dunk, I could dunk. Let me tell you why. I got a little help. I worked hard in my own power, but my own power was not enough. I worked hard in my own ability, but my ability just didn't measure up. I couldn't get there myself. But what I could do was use the trampoline. Now let me tell you what that trampoline represents. Grace. Grace, you're never going to reach God's standard of righteousness. What you need, what I need, what we all need is grace. And grace, God's undeserved favor, came in the form and the person of his son. Jesus came and kept God's law perfectly, did all the good works, fulfilled the righteousness of God through his perfect birth and life, and then satisfied the wrath of God against sin when he died for my sin and your sin at the cross. So Jesus did everything necessary, and by grace now, we can be saved. We can dunk the ball, but it takes grace. Are you getting me? A lot of people are still trying to dunk, and they can't jump. And they get frustrated, and they get burnt out, and they get to the place where they say, you know what, if this is what the Christian life is all about, I'm done with it. And they get unfaithful, and they fall out of church. They want nothing else to do with any of it. Let me tell you why. Because a lot of times they try to do it in their own power. Are you hearing me? We need grace. These people were preaching and teaching. You've got to do all this other stuff. Paul says, no. You just need Jesus. And then he'll help you do all this other stuff. Not necessarily keeping the ceremonial law and the Mosaic law, but living a life pleasing unto the Lord that impacts the loss for the kingdom of God. 
that glorifies God day by day. Are you getting what I'm saying? So he says something here. He says, as we said before, verse 8, but, now, but though we or any other angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And he says, as we said before, so now I say, I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you that ye have received, let him be accursed. He, he doubles up on that. Let me tell you why. He, wants you to, he really wants that to hit home. What he's saying is, if, if we're in here tonight, and poof, an angel appears, right before us right here, and he says, I'll tell you what, all this gospel that you've been hearing, we need to add some other things to it. He says, if that happens, don't believe it. That's false. It's not right. That angel's not of God. See, the Bible says that the Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. There's a lot of people preaching false gospel today that look like light. But if it's anything other than the gospel of faith in Christ plus nothing equals salvation, it's wrong. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what kind of suit they wear. I don't care what kind of church they preach in. I don't care. Paul says, let them be accursed. That's strong language. He says, let them be damned. You need to see the salutation of Paul. The, also need to see the salvation Paul preaches, the serious problem Paul addresses. But number four, you need to see the Savior that Paul is pleasing. Look what it says, verse 10, and we're done. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if yet I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You know what Paul says? He says, men didn't save me. And men didn't call me. So I'm not going to try to please men. I'm just going to please Jesus. He saved me. And he called me. He did. That's who we please. I learned a long time ago. If I please men and displease Jesus, it don't matter who I please. If I please Jesus and displease men, it don't matter who I displease. Are you getting that? Now, does that mean I'm trying to displease men? No. I don't try to do that. I don't want to do that. I really don't. Man, there's a lot of times God will give me something to preach, and I'll think, Lord, I don't want to preach that. It'd be easier not to preach some of that stuff. It really would. But guess what? I love you too much. Not to tell you the truth. I love Jesus too much. Not to please him. Amen. Paul said I'm going to please the Lord. Let me encourage you. Please the Lord. Please the Lord. Quit worrying about pleasing everybody else. Everybody else is always going to have a standard for you. You know that? They're going to have a standard for everything. 
I remember years ago, there's this, I was getting voted on by a church for a pastor. And got done that night with the vote. And me and my family stayed while they discussed some things. They get done with their discussion and their meeting. The deacon comes out that had asked me to come and preach that evening. And he said, well, I've got, um, I think it was like 50 for you, three against you. And one lady says she don't like the color of your Bible. I said, are you serious? He said, yeah, that's what she said. The color of my Bible. What in the world does that got to do with the price of eggs in China? Nothing. I don't make a hill of beans what color it is. What's on the inside of it? Am I giving you that truth? That's what matters. What I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is somebody else is always going to have a standard for you. Somebody else is always going to say, well, you didn't need a black Bible. You need a red Bible. Somebody else is always going to say, well, you didn't need to wear that. You need to wear this. Somebody else is always going to say, well, you don't need to sing that song. You need to sing this song. You don't need to preach that message. You need to preach this message. They're always going to have a different standard for you. Believe me. I'm sick of that. And they'll talk about how that, well, I'll tell you what, I just don't know if we ought to be playing that music in the church. That don't please me. Well, we ain't here to please you. What, does it please Jesus? Let's do that if it pleases Jesus. See, I don't care if we're pleasing Jesus with a praising Jesus and pleasing Jesus with an electric guitar or a, or a, a what's the other kind called? Acoustic guitar? Or if we please him with drums or a trumpet or, hey, however we're going to please him, let's please him. But let's make sure we please Jesus. Let's quit worrying about pleasing everybody else. Amen? That's what we got to do. Please him. Glorify him. Honor him. Let, let me just go one step further with that before we go any further. I, I, want, you, I want you to get a hold of this. Listen, let's just say we're riding down the road. Let's say we're riding down the road, we're in my car, and there's a song that comes on the radio. And we're listening to this song, and all of a sudden you say, Brother, I just don't really like that song. That's just not for me. Now, what do you think I ought to do? You, ought to, you think I ought to pull over and take a screwdriver and pop my radio out of the dash and just throw it out of the car? You think that's what we need to do? No, I'll tell you what we can do. We can probably just wait till that goes off and listen to the next song. It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Wouldn't disrupt things near as much, would it? You say, Brother, what in the world has I got to do with us? Well, you're going to be sitting here on a Sunday morning sometime, and there are going to be some songs played, and you're going to say, Man, I really like that song. But there are going to be sometimes you say, That song's really not for me. Okay. Don't tear the radio out, just wait for the next song. Realizing that it's not about me, it's about him. You're going to be sitting here sometimes and you're going to hear messages like you've heard tonight. You said, I just don't really like that message. That's a terrible message. I don't I get nothing out of that. Okay, I get it. Sometimes I get bored with my messages. All right, I get it. Let me tell you what you do pray for me. I need your prayers that utterance might be given so that I might make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that, but let me tell you something else. Just wait for the next one. Amen? Hey, man, if it pleases Jesus, that's what it's all about. That's, that's got to be our standard. Are you getting me? 
And we're going to know what pleases Jesus how. Exactly right. The standard of God's word. Not by feelings or traditions, but by the truth of God's word. Any prayer requests tonight? Yes, sir. Sure will.